Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and my garden is seriously lacking some ambriferous plants. What are those? Well, those are plants that produce shade. Oh, okay. Like, I think it's supposed to be like umbrella umbriferous. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You have a lot of plants in your garden and your yard, so I'm surprised you don't have more of those. I don't have any, like, real shady ones. They're all low to the ground. Right. Unless I laid down underneath them. Well, that sounds peaceful. Yeah. And full of bugs and fun things like that. But anyways, like Courtney said, thank you for listening. And uh, this is Addicted to Murder. Yes, it is. And we just ate a whole lot, so I'm a little bit fuzzy-brained. Me too. So we had almost the same thing. Yeah, I I didn't drink anything like alcoholic, so it's not that I'm just really full. <laughs> <laughs> nice little food coma coma yeah, going on. I think so. Yeah. Um, well, it's Courtney's question. So it is. So my question is, um, what is your kind of like guilty pleasure reality TV that you fall back on or that you've been watching lately? So reality TV? Reality TV. So really the only reality TV I watch is Alone. Oh. I love that show. Um, and I just watched the finale. I'm not going to give it away. Um, but I, the guy that won is who I – or I mean the person who won mm-hmm. is who I wanted to win. So I was super stoked. Nice. Yeah. I've also been watching Alone. Did you finish it? Not yet. Shoot. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if I just gave away something. No, it's fine. I'm a few seasons behind. So oh, okay. I'll forget You'll by forget. the time I even Plus, get there. Plus, everybody's like gender neutral anymore, anyways. So, right. Exactly. Yes. So. Well, what about you? What's your fave? Um, well, the one, in addition to Alone, that I've been watching lately is related, and that's Naked and Afraid. I haven't seen that because the title sounds ridiculous, but I'm sure it's very entertaining. It is entertaining and ridiculous. Yeah. It's sort of like alone, but you're out in the middle of wherever for 21 days, but you're totally naked and you can only bring like one item with you. What about, okay, so my question is, don't like chiggers and stuff go up? Ew. That happens sometimes. Oh, see, no thanks. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know guys have like... And a butt hole, but girls have like three, mm-hmm. and that's like three places where things can get that. No thanks, no thanks. Yeah, I would never do it, but it's kind of entertaining watching people, especially people who are like super macho and tough, and are like, "I'm gonna like make nature my bitch," mm-hmm. and then they go out there and it's like cold and rainy, and they get a splinter, and then they tap out. Are you allowed to make your own clothes, or are you even if there was like an animal that you killed and like pelted you couldn't wear it yeah if you could make it you can wear it do they kill animals like in alone to eat or do they they do well they try yeah a lot of them aren't successful but like do they not have bow and arrows they have to like use little traps or something um so like i said you can really only bring like one item so if you Mm -hmm. don't choose to bring a bow and arrow gotcha then you don't get to use one well I might check it out. I think Chris watches it, but mm-hmm. I've, yeah. It's kind of entertaining. It's actually very entertaining. Okay. And then there's some spinoffs. Okay. But Naked and Lonely? Believe it or not, there is one recently that just came out. I'm not going to watch it because I just can't. 
but it's naked and afraid of love. <laughs> oh, okay. We're mixing our shots. It's like the bachelor and <laughs> naked and afraid mixed together. Bachelorette. Something like that. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. It's a good time. Well, people out there, apparently Courtney and I like survival shows. That we would I, never go on. Like I just, I'm not, I like my partner Chris loves America's Got Talent. Um, that's his favorite. I just don't get into those ones very much. I don't know. Yeah. I've got like some competition things that I like. Like I like so you can think you can dance and mostly like things that I can't and never will do. Mm -hmm. So I like to watch other people doing things that I know that I would never do. That makes sense. (laughs) Well, good question, Courtney. Um, Do you want to give us an overview of Eric Napolitano part one? Yes. Let's see. You can remember. Yeah. Let's see how good my memory is. So, um, last week we met Mr. Eric Napolitano, who was kind of abandoned by his father Mm -hmm. and whose mother was a crazy, probable narcissist Mm -hmm. who they fought all the time and he loved her and hated her Mm -hmm. and at, what, 15, moved into a... At, like, 7th grade, like, probably, oh, so like, 12. So, like, 13. Yeah. Moved in with a creepy pedophile. Mm-hmm. Likely pedophile. Alleged. Alleged. Mm-hmm. Um, was hospitalized several times for mental health problems and anger. Two-year stint. Yes. And I believe he had finally finished high school and had joined the military. Right. But was very homesick mm -hmm. and wanted to go home. Yes. So he he left. Um, His mom sent him those uh, manipulative letters that were like, I love you, don't, or what what is that name of that book? I hate you, don't leave me. I hate you, you." don't leave me. Yeah, kind of like that type of stuff going on. Um, But anyhow, he did come home. He came home because he said that his nuts hurt and he was able to be discharged for that. That was his words. So we, like I said, we left off when he was discharged from boot camp um, for a past scrotal injury. And his mom, Carolyn, was not pleased about this and basically called her son out for not being able to handle the pressure. He called, She called him a pussy, but I refrain from using that just because, like, women are strong. So Yeah, pussies are, like, way stronger than anything that a man has. I know. Just so, saying. Anyhow. Um, she made him feel less than manly, which was like super important to Eric. I mean, not as much as we could say the I five killer, but he still was very much wanting to be a controlling person as far as that goes. So when Eric moved home, he actually moved in with uncle Al again. So now he's back in Queens. And so he's like about 18 years old or so. He met a troubled 15 year old gal named Marilyn Colorado, Colorado, Um, She attended the same junior high as Eric in Manhattan, and Eric had impressed her by having, you know, sort of been in the Marines. So Marilyn was Puerto Rican, and Eric was just the type of, quote, white guy she wanted to date. Eric's mother, Carolyn, was extremely prejudiced towards Latinos or black people. She was a total racist. This is very um, emphasized in the book Mama's Boy, which we are referencing, and that is by Richard T. Uh, because I don't think I've shouted it out earlier. Um, So I think that Eric dated outside of his race kind of just to piss his mom off. 
So all of Eric's future relationships would be with non-white people, in fact. So the two of these um, kids started dating, and pretty much right off the bat, Eric was abusive to Marilyn. He was playing out with Marilyn the same situation he played out with his mother. So a constant back-and-forth, love-hate situation. And Marilyn, as I said, she was really troubled. Her family was broken, um, and she lived with her mom and her brother. And Marilyn hung out mostly with her imaginary friend named Winnie. But she was close with her mom. She had aspirations to be in fashion design, but at age 13, she became severely depressed. She would get into fights, skip school, fail classes, and she did develop an eating disorder. Apparently, she would also wake up at night with terrifying hallucinations of demons in her bedroom. So she was hospitalized for six months and took home the diagnosis of schizophrenia. She was prescribed medication and she was released and she seemed to be improving. So, Courtney, can you give us a little overview of schizophrenia, specifically how it appears in teens? Absolutely. So schizophrenia is classified as a psychotic disorder and usually begins to show up um, between like the late teens and early 20s. So to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, a person must have at least one of the following, um, although most have more than one. So hallucinations, which is seeing, hearing, or feeling something that is not real, such as like seeing shadows moving or hearing voices. Um, They might have delusions, so a strong belief in something that is not true. For example, the government is using breakfast cereal to implant tracking devices into your children. Um, Or disorganized speech. So things like what we call word salad, which is just sort of like a bunch of words that come out that are unrelated and have nothing to do with each other. Um, Or, you know, it could be really tangential. And essentially what they're saying just doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to them? It might make sense to them, but to anyone hearing it, it's gibberish, essentially. Um, And so in addition to at least one of those, um, they may also experience things like grossly disorganized or catatonic behaviors. So acting very strangely, being very disconnected from everything, um, literally just sort of appearing catatonic, so sitting, staring, Or they might have um, what are called negative symptoms, which are things that should be there but aren't. So commonly things like just having a very flat emotional affect, so like they don't express a lot of emotions, or they're not engaging in social behaviors, um, things like that. So things that you would expect in a normal teenager or a normal kind of person who doesn't have schizophrenia, they're just not there. Okay. So... You know, some combination of these symptoms uh, must be present for at least one month and cause significant impairment to everyday living. So what this might look like in a teenager is somebody who maybe starts hearing or seeing things that others can't, which can be very scary, understandably. And then they might start distrusting others or their environment, believing that they are in danger, which then leads to social withdrawal. And then as their thinking gets more and more confused and disorganized, they may start acting very strangely, show increased anxiety, more paranoia, 
have struggle with things like learning and memory, and eventually will be no longer able to function enough to attend school or participate in social activities. Um, the good news is schizophrenia is typically well managed with medication, um, but it's also common for people who have schizophrenia to not have any insight into their problems, so they don't know that the things that they are thinking and seeing aren't real. Um, so in that case, people will often stop their medications um, if they don't have a good support system around them to keep them on track. Um, so suppose you have schizophrenia and you're not medicated. Maybe you don't even know you have it um, because you're just not in a, a place where you can get help. Um, do people in worst case situations, um, do they, if the voice tells them not to eat, will they not eat? If the voices tell them to walk into traffic, will they walk into traffic? I mean, is it like a pretty dangerous thing or is it normally you can still um, know what to do and what not to do even if the voices talking are talking to you about these things? Um, typically it starts out um, at a place where you know, a person can kind of like argue back against, you know, the, the command hallucinations. That's what we would call those. Um, but it can get to that point where like they genuinely do feel they have to do whatever the voice is saying. And often it's, you know, the voice is threatening. It's like, mm -hmm. do this or I'm going to kill you. Or, mm. or yeah. you know, it's very mean and, you know, tells them to harm themselves. So it so. sounds like a really scary. It definitely can be. Okay. Wow. That's sad. So when Marilyn, who was diagnosed schizophrenic, met Eric um, again, um, or sorry, when she met him after she got diagnosed and released everything, she had improved. But immediately she set out to lose weight. So she was five foot seven and 155, and she dropped to 135 because she was worried that Eric would think she was fat. She was a chronic pot smoker, um, but Eric did not imbibe in any of that, so she quit smoking pot. Both of these young people were kind of of a rebellious nature who hated authority and did not respect their elders. Marilyn looked the park of a, quote, punk with abnormal red hair and punk clothing, and when she would get angry, she would punch holes in her walls at home. Marilyn was angry with her mom um, for having her put into the psych ward, so life at home was far from ideal. In fact, two weeks after Eric and Marilyn got together, she moved into Uncle Al's apartment to be with Eric. Again, she was only 15. The two wanted to get married. Um, her mother was not on board with the idea, and Carolyn definitely wasn't, as Marilyn was a Puerto Rican. Uh, Marta, Marilyn's mother, had this to say about Eric. Quote, There was something in the way he looked, in his eyes. It didn't click to me. I saw emptiness. One thing that really got my attention was the way he would say, Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, ma'am. Beg your pardon, ma'am. He was always trying to be so polite just to gain my confidence. So it sounds like she just kind of saw through that facade. She also claimed that Eric brainwashed her daughter into thinking that she checked her into the psych facility because she wanted to get rid of her daughter. So, I mean, Eric thought that about his own mother. So I guess that would make sense that he would try to convince this of, you know, Marilyn too. Marilyn did listen to Eric and she started to hate her mother. She only trusted Eric. Marilyn also passed on startling information about the things she had learned about Eric to his Eric and his mother, um, to her mother, per the book regarding what was told to Marta from her daughter was this, quote, 
Carolyn that she had sexually abused him as a child, that he had tied her up in her apartment, handcuffed her, and beaten her, that he had abused her to the point where she broke her arm. So as we speculated last time, it does appear that Carolyn may truly have sexually abused her son, and it looks like he had a lot of rage, and perhaps that's why he tied her up and, and had beaten her. Um, so this is that's basically what Marilyn told Marta, so I'm sorry if that was confusing sounding. Um, Courtney, it looks like Eric and Marilyn may be heading down the road of domestic violence. Isn't the first thing that typically happens is the abuser tries to get the victim to sever ties with all outside influences? Anything else you want to elaborate on this at the, at this point. Um, yeah, so you're correct, right? Isolating a person from their friends and family is a very common tactic um, that abusers use. Um, you know, and then from that point, they are free to gaslight their victim as much as they want to, making them believe that things happened differently in the past, you know, such as, you know, oh yeah, your mom just locked you up because she wanted to get rid of you as opposed to you were very ill. And, you know, you were hospitalized because you needed help, for example. Um, or they try and make the person believe that they are at fault for their situation, right? That, well, if you didn't do this, then I wouldn't have to do that um, kind of a thing. And so without any other outside influences um, to counter those messages, it becomes essentially the only, the only input that mm-hmm. a person is getting, is this negative input from their abuser. And gaslighting is a term that I've only learned in the past few years when I started to study narcissism. So can you kind of just elaborate a little bit more about what gaslighting does? Yeah, so gaslighting essentially um, makes a person think that they're crazy. So it could include... Yeah, like telling stories about how things happened, um, being different and being like, I can't believe that you're think that like Mm -hmm. that's so wrong. You're just forgetting it. Um, It makes them feel like they are worthless. Oftentimes it's, you know, combined with a lot of verbal abuse and put downs. Um, And it essentially makes a person so that they cannot trust themselves so they believe the only person they can trust is the person who is, in fact, abusing them. So I have a terrible memory bank. Like, I have terrible recall. Um, and I have been gaslit before. So I'm easy to gaslight, I guess. Because if you tell me I did something and I'm just not quite sure, even though I'm pretty sure I didn't, you know, I'll be like, oh, okay. Um, so I have been gaslit before and I've double-checked and then realized what the person had done. And it sucks. It's definitely a manipulation tactic. Absolutely. You know, and then once a, a person is in that position, um, then, for example, with Marilyn, having Marilyn move in with him so quickly, right, that serves to not only further isolate her from her family and friends, um, but also kind of serves to kind of make her financially dependent mm-hmm. on him for shelter and other basic needs. Yeah. So Uncle Al did not like Marilyn being there. He left Eric a note, in fact, that was recovered later, and that note said, She by no means belongs here, and you know it. You have taken on her responsibility and used me. She is here against my wishes. My wishes. You are wrong to take her from her mother and bring her here. P.S. Eric, <clears throat> excuse me, she is very, very dangerous. Mark my word. I feel hell in her, and I think you have taken on much more than you can chew. 
please get her out of here. She is going to ruin you and me. Please keep alert. So on the surface, this note seems to be well-meaning. However, knowing what we do about Eric and Uncle Al's relationship, I feel that it's much more of a selfish motive on Al's part. Al wants Eric to himself. He's manipulating Eric at this point with this note. Um, That's what I think. Courtney, what do you think? Well, you know, on the one hand, the main text of this note is kind of spot on, right? Eric was in no way capable of truly caring for a young girl with severe mental illness. And moving her in without asking Uncle Al, who is, you know, the one who owns and rents the apartment space, is a pretty awful, you know, roommate move. But I can definitely see what you mean, especially if you focus on kind of that phrase, she's going to ruin you and me. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to some, I guess, additional motives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like if it would have been a male roommate that Eric brought along, it might not have been the same. Mm -hmm. But... Or maybe it would have been worse. Could have been. Yeah. After they had dated for two months, the two got engaged. They totally ignored Uncle Al. When she accepted the proposal, Eric's behavior became much worse. He would do whatever he could to destroy what little self-esteem Marilyn had left and assume a complete dominant role. Apparently, only one hour into their engagement, Marilyn became suicidal. The reason for this was Eric called Marilyn a slut after she told him she loved him for the first time. And that's sweet. He accused her of sleeping with schoolmates because of loneliness, and she could not wait to be with Eric, you know, to do it with him so she would have sex with people at school. On the second day of their engagement, Eric found her diary and handcuffed her so he could read it. She called him terrible names for doing this, but only moments later forgave him completely. Both of the two were obsessed with sex. She would skip school and he would miss work just to have sex all day. They were insatiable. That too they had in common. Eventually they did move into their own place in the Bronx. Eric declared that Marilyn could have no visitors. Eric's verbal abuse became worse and worse. It was confusing to Marilyn, but she still stayed with him, trying to improve herself for him. Remember the eating disorder and all that. Marilyn's mother found one of her journals on a rare occasion when she was allowed over, and in that journal, she discovered that Eric had been physically abusing her daughter. She had been cuffed, tortured, and beaten. Eric would constantly threaten to kill himself if she left. Marta, the mom, was able to see scars all over Marilyn's body, consistent with the abuse that was outlined in her journal. Courtney, does this sound like um, a typical domestic abuse situation? This definitely fits in the pattern of domestic violence. You know, first you isolate, then you beat down their self-esteem. So they believe that, you know, any physical abuse is their own fault and that they are unlovable to everyone except for, you know, him. And then you apologize and you do some love bombing. So I'm so sorry. Here's some flowers. Here's some candy. I promise I'll never do it again. Um, You know, and that makes them come back to you. And it's despicable, but it's unfortunately all too common, Um, you know, and on average, um, it takes seven attempts to leave an abuser before a woman is typically able to get out permanently if they get out. Yeah. Um, Do you think that what just popped into my mind is that an abuser such as this learned that from somewhere else, or is it just come natural that oh, we need you to do this, that, and this to get this person there? Or do you think that this is obviously a display of what happened to Eric from his mom and now he's just redoing what he's learned? 
My guess would be that it's a little bit of both, right? I think some people do have natural proclivities towards like violence and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but it is also very much learned. Um, okay. You know, when you look at history of many, you know, men who become um, abusers, not saying that women can't, mm-hmm. but it is more often men. Mm-hmm. Um, they are often raised in a family in which either they were abused or they witnessed mm-hmm. their father abusing their mother. Yeah, I just I thought it would be kind of weird if it was just intrinsic knowledge. It seems mm-hmm. like it has to be learned, but you never know. Mm-hmm. So Marta filed a police report against Eric after she discovered her daughter's journals. So unlawful imprisonment, imprisonment, harassment, sexual abuse, and assault was what she um, filed in her police report. So a temporary restraining order was placed on Eric. Eric, when he found out that Marta and May, uh, was maybe going to send her daughter away, freaked out, and he went up to Marta and begged her not to. He even began kissing her feet in the middle of the street. Marilyn was put into therapy and was once again seeing a psychiatrist. But Eric went out, convincing Marilyn uh, to come back to him. He had violated the order of protection for this and was arrested the next day. There were new pending charges against Eric, but they were put in the back of the pile of the judge's docket. Marilyn left again to be with Eric. Marilyn had been expelled from school, and Eric had been fired. They were couch surfing at this point. After Marilyn left with Eric this time, she was never seen alive again. Eric was still supposed to show up for court for the violation of the restraining order from earlier, but letters, supposedly notarized, from Marilyn were sent to the court stating that she would not be pressing charges. She was with Eric, and her mother was the one who was stirring the pot. Several court appearances came and went, with Marilyn not coming, but sending letters in her stead. Evidently, the judge believed the letters, and the case was dismissed. So I'm suspecting that the letters were fraudulently notarized by either Carolyn herself or someone she had something on at the NYPD. Uh, a body was discovered in the Delaware Water Gap sometime later, but was not identified for for quite a while. Courtney, what are your thoughts? It's the, you know, old written communication trick. You know, people fake letters, emails, even text messages all the time. It's not even hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's especially easy if you, you know, have a parent with connections in law enforcement who can tell you exactly how to do it and... Um, what you need in order to make it believable. Right. When I was reading this, I was like, how could they just like accept this letter that she's not coming when it's in a domestic abuse thing? How dumb are they? But if they really had a notarized letter, you know, you have to show ID. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, I, there you go. So I, I don't know how this notarized letter came about, but there apparently was one. So. Right. I 100% firmly believe that those were fraudulent letters. Cool. So after Eric's case was closed because the victim refused to show up, uh, her being dead and all was why, he moved in with his mom again. He got another job through Uncle Al and met 17-year-old Wanda Matos, Matos, M-A-T-O-S. He love-bombed Wanda the same way he had Marilyn, basically smothering her in lovey-doveyness. He promised her the world and declared his love from the rooftops. He again began to separate her from her family. They got engaged in less than a week of dating. Carolyn was upset again as Wanda was Latina and she was jealous of the time she was taking from her and her son. Wanda's mother, Gladys, hated Eric. So did Wanda's brothers. Wanda's father lived in Florida, so he just really wasn't around. 
Eric insisted that he had to have Wanda all to himself. No one but her understood him, and because they didn't like him, they weren't to be trusted. They being the family. The two moved in with Uncle Al and married two weeks later. It wasn't until they returned from their honeymoon at Cape May in New Jersey, I've been there by the way, it's pretty, that Wanda's brother heard about the rumors of him and Marilyn. When Marilyn's mother found out that Eric was married to another girl, she filed a missing persons report for her daughter. Okay, so that was confusing. Marilyn, the one that he that's dead now, that didn't show up for court, um, Marilyn's mom thought that Marilyn was with Eric. Now Marilyn's mom sees Eric with someone else, and now she's like, oh, shit, where is my daughter? Okay. So <clears throat> so remember at this point she thought those notarized, notarized letters were from Marilyn and that she was still with Eric. So Carolyn did all she could in her position, the NYPD, to make sure the cops knew that Marilyn must have run away. So she was um, being very vocal at work and, like, you know, pushing papers the right way to be like, no, Marilyn's just ran away. She's run away. She's not missing. She ran away. So Eric and Wanda moved into their own place soon after they got married, so in the Bronx again. Eric was just as insatiable with Wanda as he was with Marilyn, but unfortunately, Wanda did not return the physical ardor. She was exhausted and weak trying to satisfy him. Eric now started to change. He would not allow Wanda to leave the apartment or see her family. He would now make fun of her in public when she was allowed or around him. Uh, sorry, when she was allowed out with him. And he'd say terrible things about her culture and her race. He was using the same language on her as he did with Marilyn. Whore, slut, etc. She was quoted as saying this to Eric. Quote, if you say I'm a bitch and I'm a prostitute, then that's what I am. To which Eric beat her so badly that she passed out. She would threaten to leave, but Eric would claim that he couldn't live without her. Promising to change. By this time, five months after Marilyn had disappeared, she finally appeared in the paper as a missing person. So it took five months for them to figure out that she was missing. Um, again, the police did not identify the horribly mangled body found four months prior as hers. So they have this body, but it's in a different state. They don't know that it's Marilyn's. She's a Jane Doe at this point, that body. The article um, misspelled her last name and said nothing about how she had an order of protection against Eric. It just said that she suffered from emotional problems. When Wanda... Asked about the article, Eric promptly punched her in the nose. Wanda, encouraged by her mother, told Eric she would leave if he beat her again. That day came on January 25, 1985. Wanda left him a letter after receiving a massive beating and fled to her mother's house. Wanda found out a couple days later that she was pregnant. Eric started stalking Wanda's family, determined to find where Wanda was. He smashed their car windows and followed the mother to work. Um, Eric purchased a gun for $200 and a couple days later, Gladys, Wanda's mom, was gunned down on her walk to work. Six bullets from a thirty-eight fired at point-blank range. No witnesses were found, and the police had no leads. Eric took out his anger from Wanda on her mother. Allegedly, of course. Courtney? Well, to Eric, who needed to have total dominance and control over Wanda, Gladys was simply an obstacle standing in his way of getting what he wanted— and so she had to be eliminated. You know, I would guess that he believed Wanda would come back to him um, if her mother was gone, either because she, you know, no longer had this outside influence um, or because she would now know what he was capable of and would be too scared to stay gone. 
I am really glad that Wanda stayed gone. Um, and I firmly believe that if she had returned, this time he would have murdered her. Okay. I agree. So when Wanda was told of her mother's death, she believed it was Eric. Um, Eric and his mother were both questions. Carolyn was Eric's alibi. Shocker. The two of them did what they could do to thwart the investigation. Carolyn was able to find out all the info that the cops had due to her job. She knew that they might be working with the man that sold Eric the gun. Eric was not allowed to continue in his NYPD classes um, because of the investigation involving him, but Carolyn actually received a promotion as senior administrative assistant to the chief of the Organized Crime Control Bureau. Carolyn boasted that she now had access to pretty much all the confidential information we'd ever need to know. Charges were never pressed against Eric or his mother for this. Wanda felt extremely guilty over her mom's death. She was convinced it was Eric, and Eric did this because of her hiding from him. Four months later, Eric met another woman, 17-year-old Myra Acevedo. I'm so I'm terrible with last names. I apologize. Myra's was also an auxiliary cop. So remember we said that in the first episode, Eric, since he couldn't be a full-on cop, was kind of like a volunteer police officer. So Myra's also doing this. Um, Eric put on the old charm like he did with his other girlfriends, and it sounded like he had to work a little harder with Myra, but eventually she fell in love with Eric. Unlike the other parents of his girlfriends and wives, Myra's parents accepted Eric. They thought he was a hard worker. They married two months after they met. So Eric's still technically married to Wanda at this point. So now he's married to two women. And, um, yeah. So Eric altered his name on the marriage certificate along with his parents' names. It looks like Eric actually really cared for Myra, at least as much as Eric could do so. They were happy for some time. They decided to have children, and it wasn't long before Myra was pregnant with their first child. Meanwhile, a grand jury was supposed to convene to hear Wanda and her brother's testimony against Eric regarding the mother's murder. And Wanda was flown in from her hiding place to give testimony to the grand jury to help them decide if they should arrest Eric for the murder of her mother Gladys. The jury never convened, however, because a larger case took precedence. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was something regard with a bunch of cops involved. So anyways, so by pure luck, I guess you'd call it Eric escaped arrest because the jury never heard Wanda's testimony and it was pretty much just forgotten. Inevitably, Eric treated Myra the same way he treated his other women. She had a second child two years after the first and Eric abused her terribly in front of the kids. He also encouraged his eldest child to, who was now a toddler to hit people and throw tantrums. When he started to talk, he cursed at his mother all the time. He also threw heavy toys at his mom and beat his little brother. He also pulled a Ted Bundy and chased his mom around with a kitchen knife. He would tell her, Daddy said for me to stab you, or Daddy said I could play with knives. He ran around with fake guns and fired them at people, telling them he was going to kill them. Eric would take his son's side over Myra's all the time. If she reprimanded her son, Eric would threaten to hurt her for doing so. Eric had successfully isolated Myra from her family at this point, and he was now making fun of her background and her accent. Eric also started a relationship, an extramarital affair with Jennifer Mead. Even though Eric was screwing around, he still was jealous of any relationship Myra may have had, and that included her relationship with God. He eventually forbade her from praying. Myra suspected he may be cheating, and um, with his severe abuse of her and her children, she decided to leave. 
The day the movers came to give an estimate of the cost of moving was the last day Myra was seen alive. Her body was found 19 days later, 140 miles away in Delaware. Courtney, as far as domestic abuse goes, is this typical? I mean, is it typical that the abuser is so jealous of the attention others get from the victim that even God is not allowed? You know, while I've never personally heard of another case of a man being jealous of God, um, you know, jealousy related to any other personal interaction is incredibly common in relationships with domestic abuse. You know, I've heard of men being jealous of their wife talking to, like, the checkout attendant at the grocery store or talking too much to their kid's teacher or even being jealous of their own children getting more attention um, than they are. So this seems pretty darn extreme. It's definitely on the extreme end. Okay. Okay, so the cops were definitely investigating Eric for the murder of his wife. Her body had been positively identified. Between Eric, Carolyn, and Al, the police had a tough time with their investigation. The three of them worked with each other over alibis, and Carolyn was privy to all the NYPD info as her job afforded her the access to the case files. So Eric had a new girlfriend... Um, her name was Sandra and she had family in New Mexico. So they went to New Mexico, I think, to get out of Dodge. Um, and he got on welfare there and his kids were enrolled into daycare. And while in traffic in New Mexico, it was witnessed by a car nearby, um, Eric's car and Eric was beating his child. So that was reported and a welfare check occurred at the residence. So Eric was now on New Mexico PD's radar. He married Sandra soon after they moved to New Mexico, again committing bigamy, right? So, I mean, his one wife's dead, but the first wife is still alive. And Jennifer was his girlfriend um, in New York, but this is a whole new person. So this guy, he gets the the women pretty quickly. Um, So, let's see here. And, okay, Eric Jr.'s behavior so his eldest son who's four and he's doing all of that acting out and um running around with knives and you know cursing and everything he started to see a psychologist i think that when they did the welfare check it was very much recommended plus he was um, disturbing kids at the daycare so eric senior was also encouraged to attend parenting classes because his skills were obviously not stellar Okay, so to wrap things up, the police were gathering more evidence in New York. Uncle Al was actually caving a bit and admitting to some things. Eric was eventually arrested, and Myra's parents got the kids. The first day that Myra's parents got the kids, they took them to McDonald's. So Eric Jr. is now four years old, and he told his grandparents that he was mad at his dad because, quote, because he put a rope around mommy's neck. So remember that story from the first episode that Eric wrote in high school about killing the wife with a throat or with a noose around the neck? So anyhow. So other conversation that Eric Jr.'s grandparents would have with him made it clear that not only did Eric kill his son's mother in front of his son, but that he drove with him out to the dump site and even made his son help dig his mother's grave. Courtney, I'm getting a total Dexter vibe here. Little Eric was already displaying what seems like, you know, reactive attachment disorder, what with running around his house threatening his mom with a knife and all. What kind of stuff can we expect to happen if he saw his father kill his mom and then helped him bury her? He was only four years old. There's 
very clearly some intense trauma um, that this little boy has gone through and intense trauma reactions that, you know, he's, he's showing. You know, there could be some reactive attachment going on, um, but we just, we don't have quite enough information about kind of his relationships with caregivers and things like that, especially with his grandparents, um, to say for sure, since that is one of the key factors. Um, I wonder more about the definite um, presence of PTSD and, as he gets older, guilt that he might experience about the way that he treated his mother, especially since it sounds like a lot of it was solicited and encouraged by his dad. I mean, he did say, like, Daddy said I could should stab you, mm-hmm. right? And unfortunately, you know, it's not uncommon for abusive partners to gaslight and recruit their own children to participate in the abuse along with them. Um, you know, there's definitely stories of not only um, using children to, you know, continue to abuse you know, a mother or a parent, but to abuse each other. If there's like an identified, you know, son or daughter who's, you know, the the target of the abuse. Um, there's definitely families where everyone sort of joins in and it is horrifying. And these are just kids who are doing what they're told mm-hmm. and are reenacting what's being modeled for them. And then they grow up and are just racked and overcome with guilt because Mm. they learn that what they did was not okay yeah that's terrible i'm sorry if you guys hear my dog so that's what's going on so to really understand all the bullshit that eric uncle al and carolyn put the nypd detectives through you really should read the book mama's boy but eventually eric was convicted of killing myra acevedo And he got 32 and a half years for that. He later pled guilty to Marilyn's murder, um, but only because there was a plea deal. And that deal was that his mom would not face any of the charges of conspiracy and lying to the police that were against her. So when her apartment was searched, police files and confidential information was found that she had stolen from work. Um, And I don't know why she was keeping it, because I think that she just... Um, like to have something up her sleeve in case she needed something down the road. So Eric got an additional 15 years for for that murder. The murder of his mother-in-law, Gladys, was not officially solved, but pretty much it's thought to have been Eric who committed it. So through all of this, all the hell that these three people put people through, the murders, the covers up, the obstruction of justice, Carolyn Napolitano, sorry, Carolyn Napolitano was able to keep her job with the New York Police Department. Go figure. Courtney? People wonder why civilians don't trust the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't right. know how she could. She had stolen from them. Right. She should have been fired immediately. Exactly. But, but whatever. Anyway. You know, well, another question while we had been working sort of on this case was whether or not Eric Napolitano is actually a serial killer or not. Um, Because I think when we think of serial killers, um, you know, we think of, you know, people who have 
you know, mostly killed strangers, not mm-hmm. people they know, um, who have a clear method and a pattern. And, you know, there's usually some sort of sexual component, mm-hmm. although not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Eric didn't really have any of these things. He mm-hmm. killed his wives or people he knew. It was very sort of impulsive mm-hmm. and there wasn't a specific cooling off period or ritual or anything like that. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it was premeditated. Well, yeah, not like I mean, maybe maybe Gladys, but right, or it could have been like premeditated by like a day, right, right. It wasn't like I'm gonna go stalk my mm-hmm. victims exactly. Um, so I looked in on it, um, and the FBI definition of a serial killer only requires that it be a series of two or more murders committed as separate events, so not like two people killed at the same time, um, and usually, but not always, by one offender acting alone. So based on that criteria, we have it. Eric Napolitano is a serial killer in the eyes of the FBI because he killed three people. Yeah, I guess they have a pretty broad range of what a serial killer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not very specific. I mean, um, only two people at two different times, mm-hmm. you know. It's right. Just, I, I thought it would be more. Mm-hmm. I thought it was three for one. Yeah. There is another um, definition that people talk about. So, so like a bunch of like criminologists and psychologists like got together at a conference or something and created their own definition. Mm-hmm. Um but the only thing that was different from their version and the FBI's was that they had three okay. murders instead of two. Okay. Um, but, you know, one thing we can think of um, that does separate, you know, Eric from some of the other killers we've looked at is that he seemed to be a very disorganized killer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they were more impulsive and they were more kind of rage-fueled. They weren't planned out. Um, and... You know, a characteristic of a, you know, disorganized kill is excessive violence involved. Um, And while, you know, we don't necessarily know how much terrible violence was involved in the actual murders themselves, Eric's whole life was basically full of excessive violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the six point-blank shots to the face of Gladys allegedly (laughs) done by Eric that's pretty excessive it is yeah so and then you know I think it's excessive to involve your son in helping you you know all this all this Mm -hmm. stuff is excessive it's anger it's hate-filled it's selfish it's unnecessary he's a despicable person and um I mean I know he had a mental illness and I know he had childhood trauma and all that but that doesn't give him any right to be this violent with anybody absolutely not and I just worry about his kids um Mm -hmm. you know what's I'm what they moved to Puerto Rico or at least they at the time of this book they had moved with the grandparents to Puerto Rico so you know I really hope that they got the help that they needed hopefully yeah and I mean the best place for them to be is as far away from Eric and Carolyn as possible. Right. Since, you know, both of them just are really terrible people. That's the truth. 
Well, that's the end of Eric Napolitano, and I hope it wasn't too confusing. Sometimes when I'm, um, when we write this stuff, it's sounding right in our head, and then when I read it out loud, I'm like, does that make sense to everyone? So if you have any questions on this case or any other, you can hit us up at our social media, um, which is on Instagram, at Addicted to M Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, at Addicted to Murder Podcast, and our email is Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Good job. So I did that without, I didn't write it down this time, and I did it. Maybe it's better to not write it down. I don't know. I tried to use my recall, my memory recall. Mm-hmm. And so Courtney's <laughs> picking our next case, and take it away with your clue. Yeah, so this is a case that I had never heard of, and I'm pretty sure most of our listeners will have never heard of him either, um, because although he is a serial killer, he was never charged or convicted of any of his crimes. What? You'll find out why next time. (laughs) All right, everybody. Be safe. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.